Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Rikindi. Today we're joined by Harvey Silverglade. Harvey is an attorney, journalist, author, and co-founder of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, or FIRE. Harvey has been an advocate for civil liberties since the 1960s and has taught at Harvard Law School, the University of Massachusetts, Boston, and many more. He is currently an attorney at Cambridge, Massachusetts, where he practices in academic freedom, civil liberties, criminal defense, and student right cases. As a recent university graduate myself, it seems freedom of speech is an incredibly important topic to discuss and hopefully continue to be discussed. For one can only come to a greater truth through open and honest discussion. So, Harvey, thank you so much for joining us today. This is an honor. My pleasure. So I'd like to begin broadly with your definition of freedom of speech. Well, freedom of speech is the right of um, individuals to say whatever is on their mind without having to suffer official punishment. Now, that doesn't mean that you're free from ostracism from friends or former friends, neighbors, uh, anyone else, but you are free from official power to tell you what you cannot or must say. Um, So I guess with this, it's quite a controversial topic because many argue that unrestricted speech can lead to harm, violence, and can foster hostility and division within society, particularly with the large amount of information and misinformation or false information that is currently um, spread around. So what would you think about that as a counter-argument? Well, in a free society, uh, it's up to the people who um, are more attuned to reality, to actual facts, to correct error. You don't have the government correct error. That's a censorship. And besides, that gives the government way too much power. And governments uh, historically have done far more damage than uh, individuals. And so um, we leave it up to the private the citizens to correct the errors of their fellow citizens. Um, and um, uh, we leave it up to a free press Uh, including a free press that has uh, um, newspapers of the left and the right and the middle that can um, contest in the marketplace of free ideas um, for public support and agreement. And so currently at the moment, where do you see America particularly um, on this continuum? Right now, this country is more divided than I've seen it since the... um, 19 late 1960s the vietnam war um it's extraordinarily divided the right and left seem to be on different planets i believe that one of the problems in the united states is that we only have two political parties republicans and democrats when in fact americans break down into four different groups on the democratic side there are the progressives who are leftists um, to some extent, socialists. Uh, then there are the traditional liberals who believe in free speech and due process of law, but also believe that individual citizens, there should be a, a floor below which a, a citizen is not um, allowed to fall uh, economically and socially. So um, th- that is what a liberal is, and that's what I am. 
On the right, there are the traditional conservatives, people like Mitt Romney, who are losing power in the Republican Party, to the fascists uh, on the far right. Ron DeSantis is an example, um, in, in my view, and he's running for president. In my view, we have a certain dysfunctionality politically and governmentally because each party is beset by a civil war within that party. I mean, look at the Republicans now. There are some of them who are looking to uh, to shut down the government because they can't agree on a budget. And that's the, you know, the traditional conservatives on one side and the hard right wing on the other. Um, and the Democrats, because of its dysfunctionality, they, they can't seem to do anything about it. So this is a, this is a pretty bad time for this country right now. And if you take that um, idea and you expand it globally, where would you say America now is sitting then on a global continuum? So comparing that, because like you know, it is I guess known to be quite a um, liberal society um, culturally compared to everywhere else. Whereas what you're kind of explaining now is this mass division. Um, so what what do you think that looks like on the global spectrum? The world is faced now with several really horrendously important and difficult challenges. One of them is, of course, environmental. The, the nations of the world have had trouble agreeing internally and among themselves as to what's to be done about global warming. There are actually people who deny, mostly people on the far right, who deny that there is global warming. But, you know, uh, science has been very clear. There is a scientific consensus. I believe in science. And um, I think that's one of the, um, and that's a political failure to um, figure out how we are going to reverse this devastating trend. This, this past year, we have had fires, floods, um, all kinds of problems, huge pollution problems because of global warming. So I think that's one of the things that is um, is, is threatening the world. The other is that um, there is a um, a titanic battle going on between uh, democracy and autocracy. The on the autocracy side, it's led by Russia, um, which has uh, attacked Ukraine uh, for no good reason, for no bad reason, for no reason at all attack Ukraine because it's run by a single um, pathologically um, insane autocrat, Putin, who claims to have been elected, but everybody knows that that's not true. And there's also China, which um, is run by one autocrat. Um, who it's The claim is there that it's run by the Chinese Communist Party, that would be bad enough, but it's not even true because there's one autocrat who's now taken over. Uh, he is driving China off a cliff. The Chinese economy is suddenly falling apart. And um, so who knows what's going to happen in China, yet it's a, a huge country. India is the second um, hugest country in terms of population. And its president um, seems to be leaning towards autocracy, as is the president of Turkey. So the world is beset by autocrats. 
um, including in countries that claim to be democratic, India and Turkey, um, and the United States and, and Britain and France and Germany and the smaller NATO countries are trying to figure out how to hold back this dam from bursting. We have a huge challenge. It's just a huge challenge. And we have to meet that challenge because it's the only hope for the world. Two things I just wanted to touch on, uh, the environmental and the autocracy. But I guess you can look at this when when you see America, right, once again, you're looking at more of a libertarian, so to speak, country. But as you mentioned, Russia, China are more of that and India leading into that direction of that autocracy. When you align that with freedom of speech, there's this is where I'd like to go into the um, Thomas Hobbes social contract theory, where he essentially outlines in his book Leviathan, um, so this suggests that individuals relinquish some freedom, personal freedom, to a central authority in exchange for social order and protection. So I can see that, I guess, on one hand, you're saying if you have uh, the natural world, which is very chaotic, um, a way to help uh, with large populations to the size of China, they're saying, all right, well, if in a libertarian society you have a conflict, which we're seeing in America, where there's this mass division that's only being accelerated by um, social media and artificial intelligence and a pumping of information, and that ties into science. Well, what is science? Because a lot of it has actually been politically um, swayed. So. Well. There's funding by a lot of um, scientific articles that will say, oh, you know, science has found X, Y, and Z. But when you um, replicate those studies, a lot of them actually are unable to be replicated. So then I guess with science, there is like um, multiple ways to mitigate against that. But there seems to be a twisting of what is truth. And that's what ties into this whole freedom of speech and why it's such a fundamental topic is, is it important for us to steer towards um, something that you have a handful of people, I guess, steering a country in a specific direction, but I guess you have the downside of that. And um, yeah, what do you think? The one thing I will tell you is freedom, democracy, decency have never benefited from giving the government power to determine what's truth. Quite the opposite. It's up to the free marketplace of ideas to quote the great Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. And um, we, we have to honor process. We have a free press. We have free individuals. We have the right to organize. And that is the only way that the policies of a society can be determined and the truth can be determined. We cannot have government agencies determine what truth is. They are not very good at, at that. And besides, it's the pathway to tyranny. So um, I am. I'm not a pure libertarian. As I said, I believe in social security and a few things like that. But I do know that, and I, I read five, four newspapers a day. Um, and um, a couple of them are conservative. A couple of them are liberal or progressive. Um, and they report the news by reading four newspapers a day i get a fairly good idea of what's really happening um it's something in the middle between the conservative press and the liberal press 
but it's the only it's the only the only way of governing a society that doesn't end up in tyranny and and, and murder. Um, I mean, look at the people who were uh, newspaper reporters who suddenly disappear in Russia and China. I mean, it's amazing. People just disappear in China and they're not, not accounted for. Nobody knows where they are, if they're alive or dead. Ditto with Russia. Well, we can't, we can't allow that to happen in the, in the West. The only thing I'm just concerned about is it seems like it's more easy for um, external entities to divide countries where there's no uniformity in place. So uh, when you're looking at China and Russia, I think, uh, I mean, from the outside looking in, it seems like it's all unified. There's one unified thought. There's one unified direction. They are the CCP. They are China. There is no separation. And I can see the downside if it goes in some warped direction, which you could see happen in Cambodia and, and many other countries. But in the United States, it seems due to this division, it's easy to divide and conquer. And that's one of the downsides that I see happening from the outside, once again, looking in. Okay, I disagree with the conquer. Okay. Um, this country is divided. However, there's nobody who's going to conquer it. Um, first of all, it's been somewhat divided forever. I mean, this this country has never been one that has been um, heterogeneous. It's heterodoxic. And um, it's the only country in the world that has people from absolutely every other um, race, religion, nationality. As a result of the fact that it's a nation of immigrants, every single country in the world is represented in this population. That is a strength, not a weakness. We disagree with each other? With, sure. That's what freedom is all about. If you're not allowed to disagree, you don't have a free democracy. Um, so for all of its problems, that's a huge strength. Right now, it's very divided. If this country were attacked, they would be unified in three seconds. So when you're having the three global superpowers essentially coming to a head, you would say that America is quite strong, even though they are so politically divided. Correct. It's our divisions are our strength, not our weaknesses. Yeah, wow. Okay, that's interesting. Because I'm also, I mean, I guess this is slightly um, steering off this topic, but when I start to look at the uh, global financial situation, you know, the US dollar was incredibly strong, and I guess to a large extent still kind of, is but it just does seem like there is a um, a shift that could potentially be taking place on the global landscape. Well, you know, um, the U.S. There's a huge battle going on in the Congress over the U.S. budget. Our this country, and I believe it's singular in the world in this respect, hasn't balanced the budget in what thirty years. We are constantly spending more than we take in. This is something that the that the progressives don't doesn't bother the progressives at all. But they're idiots. They don't understand that eventually the dollar will collapse, the economy will collapse, the good faith and credit of the country will be wasted. In this respect, the Republicans who are threatening to shut down the government, they're right. Now, I'm not. I don't agree with anything else. The Republican hard right, except this, that it's bankruptcy. And it's total irresponsibility to be year after year spending more than you bring in. And I think a lot of the problems is 
what's called pork barrel spending. That is, in order to get Congress to enact building a bridge, you've got to give, make sure that Kansas gets its share of, uh, of federal funds. For what? Um, for whatever the Kansas wants to use the money for. So I do believe it's highly irresponsible and very dangerous to continue to spend more than we take in. I think we should be paying down the debt, not increasing it. So I find myself on that score agreeing with the right wing of the Republican Party. I think that their threats to shut down the government um, are not irresponsible, that they're necessary. Um, I bet you I'm the only liberal who believes that in, in the United States right now. But it's common sense. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's I, I can't believe that they printed more money uh, during 2020 than almost ever. And it just continues to increase. I mean, that graph, when I saw it for the yeah. first time, it, it was outrageous. I couldn't believe it. And the fact that um, America isn't seeing mass inflation compared to, let's say, Zimbabwe, who had done a similar thing, but because of the world relying on it to trade, they didn't see that mass inflation. So it's... Yeah, it's going to happen. Facing reality is um, is not a uh, is not very uh, common in hyper partisans. Yeah, guess, you know it's it's the progressives that are doing this, um, not the liberals. It's the progressives they 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 have no sense. They have no sense of reality. They have an ideology. Well, ideology can just take you so far, and then there's another ality that intervenes. It's called reality. They're not very good at that. Well, I guess uh, reality um, only happens really in the in the present moment, right? So we can only predict what we may think the trajectory is going, but only once you face that moment can you see what is finite and you know what collapses into what we all experience. I think what's going to happen is that the uh, the Republicans who are holding out are going to prevail. And there is going to be a budget deal that is, for the first time in what thirty years, is going to start to uh, to uh, to reduce the uh, the deficit, and eventually we'll start to pay down the debt. But you have to start somewhere, and I think that it's going to start now. Again, I don't agree with the right wing of the Republican Party on anything, uh, with with the exception of this obvious reality. So that's what I'm saying is I'm a liberal and I'm able to contemplate the fact that the other side might be right about something. The hyper-partisans won't give them credit for anything. But I am really well. I'm a criminal defense and civil liberties lawyer. I'm attached to reality. I have to be every single day. Yeah, I guess, well, reality in itself is extremely subjective, um, because everything that you read, even if you're trying to stay as centralized as possible, um, there will always be a lens uh, based on your previous experiences yeah. and minor. Can I tell you one thing time, that, is, um, that, that is that the, is not subjective? Mm. If day in and day out you spend more than you bring in, eventually something's going to collapse. That is an objective fact. That is not subjective. I wonder what's then tying them to continue to do that. I mean, there must be some pretty heavy um, reasons why they think that it could potentially work. Some people in public life are not attached to reality. They're attached to ideology. If ideology 
that is not moored to reality is very dangerous. Yeah, so I guess steering back to, um, since we're on the right-winged side of politics and you mentioning that, that um, the Republicans would eventually come back in, um, what are your views on what happened recently with Donald Trump and freedom of speech within the current political landscape? Okay, first of all, on issues of Trump, I'm limited in what I can say. You may or may not know that I represent John Eastman um, in b- both the federal prosecution that where he's named an unindicted co-conspirator and um, in the Georgia case where he's actually a defendant. So I'm limited in what I can say about Trump. But I will say this. Um, I think that this country is in a terrible rut. The reason is neither Trump nor Biden is capable of running this country in, in the next four years. They are the, each the leading candidate for his party for the presidency. And either one, they're, they're, each one is too old and uh, too divisive. It would be much better to have two candidates from the Republican and Democratic Party, two candidates who are younger and who are fresher and who can see their way clear to get us out of the current rut. I don't think Trump is, is no, I don't want to talk, I don't want to criticize him and, and respect to anything except to say that as a matter of sheer age, if nothing else, both he and Biden, if they wanted to really do the country a service, they would step out of the race. There are candidates in both parties who will be much better um, in the White House. Um, and I'm I'm not totally convinced that's not going to happen. Yeah, no, I guess uh, ego <laughs> plays a very large role in politics, unfortunately. Um, rather than what John F. Kennedy said, us not your, your country can do for you, but rather what you can do for your country. Um, yes. But yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. And I, I found like Donald Trump was what one of the first people, if not the first person to um, in America, jump up and down and say the election was a fraud. And that caused mass division because it's either this is where you go back to, well, this is reality. Well, what is reality? Because now you have the split divide in reality itself. Half of America thinks reality is X and the other half thinks reality is Y. And how can you come to the bottom of what actually is reality? Because each one has their own scientific basis, so to speak, um, on claiming their own opinion. And science has been opinionated. opinionated. <laughs> yeah, well, we can't even agree on science. I mean, the, there's huge battles over COVID vaccinations. You know, somehow science uh, doesn't, it doesn't convince people about things. Um, will we get through it? Yes, I believe we'll get through it because I believe that ultimately the country has democratic values and ultimately the majority of people will come to their senses and will have reasonable solutions. We will not have a civil war. I have faith in, in this nation. Um, I think it will work out. Um, I'm not a fool. Um, I'm a realist. I have to be given my profession. But I think that we'll work it out. It'll messy, yeah, it'll be messy. Democracy is inherently messy. Um, who is it who said, um, was it Winston Churchill? Uh, it's the, uh, it, democracy is the second worst system 
devised by mankind or the rest of first worst. Exactly. It's the best we have so far. Yeah, it's just the biggest threat that I see, and I, I hate to go backwards, but it's just this divide and conquer. Like when a country is unified, yes, they can be unified in a weird direction, but they are unified. Whereas when you have an easy infiltration to divide, 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 how can a country agree on anything? Let me tell you something. If this country were attacked by a foreign power, it would be divided in one second. And when the when the chips are down, when push comes to shove, I think this country would be more unified than you think. Right now, we're we're threat. The major threats um, are not directly to the United States. The major threats are to Ukraine, or to the environment, uh, to Taiwan. The integrity of the United States as a as a nation. Its security is not being directly attacked right now. We have the luxury of being divided. But if we were attacked, remember, during before World War II, there were a considerable number of Americans who didn't want to enter the war. There were a considerable number of Americans who were pro-German, for example. There was the American Bund. The minute, the second, that the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, this became a unified country. President Roosevelt made a brief, but uh, I think um, very eloquent speech. How, how long did it take? Was it six, seven minutes? It was quite, I don't remember exactly, but I've heard it a dozen times. The country was suddenly unified. So this country has the ability to be unified when push comes to shove. Right now, we have the luxury of being, of arguing over everything except maybe the date and time. Mm. I guess when you look at Neam Chomsky's manufacturing consent, though, um, you know, his whole basis was saying that if a country wants to go to war, they'll essentially manufacture consent of its citizens so everyone gets all excited and goes to war. But if there's a divide in um, media, if there's a divide in this political landscape, then wouldn't half of the country be promoted to want to go to war and then the other country, half of the country, would be disincentivized to go to war? Well, guess what? That's the Congress votes and that's how the decision is made. The war is declared by the Congress. And do you think, um, you know, one of the thoughts, so to speak, going out is that um, there is a war going on and it's being fought in Ukraine. So there is a war between the West and the east that's not on anyone's uh, land so to speak it's it's in the middle there i'll tell you this when russia first attacked ukraine everybody thought that russia was going to roll over ukraine in three to four weeks i had a bet with three journalist friends of mine that that was not going to happen because in the end Ukraine, being a democratic country, was going to rise to the occasion, and that Russia, being an autocratic country, was going to have far more problems than anybody thought. I predicted that in three months, Ukraine would win. Well, I was wrong on my timing. However, I think I'm fundamentally, my observation was correct. The democracy has risen to the, its own defense to an extent that nobody in the world would have predicted. 
And I believe that there's going to be an armistice. I also believe it's possible Putin will be deposed because the corruption and weakness of Russia under his corrupt dictatorship has been exposed for the world to see. Gradually, the Russian people, despite the propaganda, despite the imprisoning of opponents, despite the fact there isn't a free press, that Putin is going to be thrown out, either dead or alive, and um, Russia is going to have to figure out its future. Um, it had a, a short period of democracy, a so-called glasnost. Maybe it'll try democracy again. Since the fall of the czars, Russia has been a basket case, and unnecessarily so, because it's got great resources, it's got an incredibly intelligent population with a long history of intellectual achievement, and yet it's a mess. Yeah, no, that's um, I, I definitely do um, agree with the intellect of its population, and even in Ukraine, it breaks my heart seeing so many incredibly intellectual people, um, computer scientists and the like, being murdered mm-hmm. um, for the sake of power. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, it's really interesting. I guess also touching on that topic, though, and going back to the whole monetary supply, wouldn't it be, I mean, I, I was thinking like when you see um, America, um, when we're talking about the hyperinflation that America should be seeing, but technically isn't currently, when I look at Russia, China, um, and other countries, there is the possibility that they would club together to try and break the US dollar um because I guess you need the US dollar to trade oil. And um, so if that's broken and you can start using other currencies, then that would cause and force a hyperinflation, which would have devastating impact on um, the US dollar and the US citizens. It's the reason why the progressives are so irresponsible in wanting to spend more than we bring in. And when I say that to people, they say, oh, you know, you become a right winger. No, I have... I'm simply using my brain. Yeah, no, it's a, and Australia, because I'm currently based in Australia, the Australian dollar is heavily dependent on the US dollar, um, as mm-hmm. so is our economy. But it's interesting because we're caught in the middle between um, uh, most of our exportation goes to China, raw materials and the like, uh, whereas America is, um, we're dependent on them for our military. So similar to Russia, Australia has a large amount of um, natural resources, uh, massive with a tiny population. So it's kind of like this gigantic gold mine that is not really, well, I mean, I don't know, I'm not in um, the military or anything, but it seems uh, the sheer population would be unable to protect ourselves if it wasn't for America. But if we don't sell to China, then <laughs> where would our economy go? You know, China is viewed as a rising power. A lot of predictions are that it's going to overtake the United States. I do not predict that. I think that the Chinese Communist Party is going to have an internal war. Um, I think that in the end, the Chinese dictatorship is not going to succeed. China is in for big political and economic problems. It's starting to crack. The walls are starting to crack now. The idea that China is the wave of the future is absurd. For the East, it's a dream, and for the West, it's a nightmare. But it's not going to happen. I think they've got more billionaires now popping up every day than anywhere else. I think it's probably surpassing America. Well, the problem with um, nations that have achieved great wealth but not democracy is that 
corruption is uh, unbridled. So that's how you suddenly have the uh, the senti billionaires. Um, it's corruption. But then I guess in America, though, like even if you're looking at a capitalist free society, you still have wealth each day accumulating more and more towards the top 0.01%. And America, even though it's the wealthiest nation in the world, there's a mass amount of poverty. So uh, I don't like whether you're living in a communist country or not, like it still seems heavily divided in terms of wealth. It's like human nature. (laughs) Poverty is a huge problem in this country. It grows out of a deficient educational system. The battle over education in this country is hampered by the following problem. Teachers unions. I am a very strong supporter of unionization in the private sector. I am a very strong opponent of unionization in the public sector. Why? In the private sector, you have two sides bargaining, each with its own interest and its own money at stake. In the public sector, there's only one side bargaining. Because let's take the school committee, for example, the education system. School committee is bargaining with taxpayers' money, not its own. They agree to teaching rules which have greatly weakened and hampered our educational system. I believe that teachers' unions should be abolished. I believe that the public school system has got to improve in this country because it is the lack of education for inner city kids is respo- more responsible for poverty than any other single factor. And that lies at the feet of teachers' unions. If we can improve the education system, we will improve this problem of deep pockets of poverty in this country. It's the only way of doing it consistent with democratic values. Mm. I guess with that, that's where the benefit of AI and uh, like artificial learning, so to speak, is beneficial. So each child, rather than learning from a teacher, you could have your own personalized curriculum. So you would go based on what you're interested in um, and it can accelerate in specific areas and just help you gradually build in other areas. You can have literally top tier um, teaching skills tailored specifically to your needs. I think that's a, it's very possible and that's a, very much a hope, a sign of hope for the future. I only would hope that the inner city poverty-stricken kids will be able to take advantage of it. Mm. But I guess going back to freedom of speech, um, who then gets to set up these curriculums? Who gets to, and even I guess same thing with the public um, education system, is what processes and policies are going are being put in place to ensure that, what, what is information? So uh, there's a war fought between country A and country B. Now, the winning country and or the losing country will give its population a specific type of narrative on how that war went. Um, so country A will have a very different view of the outcome and the result as country B. I mean, for example, I grew up in South Africa before moving to Australia and my education system was heavily focused. My history was heavily focused primarily on um, apartheid and the oppression of uh, blacks um, and any country around that area. I didn't learn about so many things. As I got older, I started to increase my understanding of history. But during school, it was hyper-focused on very specific topics. And I found that quite interesting as each country would um, indoctrinate, so to speak, their population on their historical um, views. Free society with free speech 
um, there is, it is impossible to have a uniform set of beliefs that are widely accepted. Um, you have true diversity, intellectual diversity in a free society. So um, no single ideology can gain that kind of a footing. Um, there is no national view uh, on any topic in a free society. But I guess, okay, so now taking that idea, right? Everybody has a right to vote. Everybody has a right to freedom of speech. Now, we'll apply that to what happened in Algeria in the 1992 elections. Totally democratic, but freedom of speech allowed democracy to eat itself. So they all voted to end all elections. So this is because the majority of people voted to end all elections, which prevented the future decision-making to be made by the country. If the majority of people decide to give up democracy, the country is no longer a democracy. And what happens at that point is there are no future elections. You don't make future decisions. And it ends up eventually being a revolution. And it is the problem with autocracy. It's a problem with shutting down diversity of opinion. If a nation decides to commit suicide, the democracy decides to commit suicide, it will commit suicide. And eventually, um, I think people would see that it's not working and it will reverse itself. That's mm. just um, the nature of the game. I think what may potentially be accelerating people's views, though, is now you've got AI, social media, each person, rather than reading a range of newspapers, has their own personalized newspaper that they are reading. Who controls that information that is being fed to you? A handful of companies, maybe three, four, if they can dictate what is um, false information and what is not. And so if you're having this continuous filtering of information, you can be a strong advocate for, you know, discussion A, and you solely believe, of course, discussion A. People are idiots if they talk about discussion B. They're absolute idiots. But you know this only because of the information that you've been gradually fed. But no, no, it's freedom of information, freedom of press. But it's not. Even, I guess, one of that vi those videos um, that leaked all across the internet, which was all the media reporters saying the same thing. <laughs> And you sit back and you're like, well, wow, you know, people can be so strong of a view that they believe is their own, but what is inherently your own view? Well, eventually, there will be vacuums and different views will come in and the views will be known. The idea that the this country's views are going to be determined by four or five moguls or organizations is simply not going to happen there will be more such news sources develop and um, there will eventually be a, a variety no one ideology will take over and um, i have confidence in that uh, i have confidence that 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 this country is a fundamentally diverse one uh, intellectually and politically diverse and that it's not going to be possible for uh, a very small handful of moguls or organizations to run the place. Um, it's too messy. I hope you're right, because even on YouTube, for example, 
there has become censorship that started to take place. And I it comes off of the banner of harm, violence, fostering hostility, you know, spreading mind viruses, so to speak. But I guess even mind viruses have been spread with one specific view and the other view has been completely shut down. And, you know, I don't want to, I want to stay central, you know, central in my outlook. But even looking at the woke, for example, um, people getting offended if you call a woman a her rather than, so now it's, it's a they. And so you're changing the um, English language to accommodate. And that's perfect. And I could potentially have videos taken off YouTube or posts on political platforms or any platform if I was to say anything different to the total. We want to include everybody as inclusivity. Well, predicted all this, discussed all this in 1984. 1984 came and went and he's a great writer. But it never happened. Big Brother has not taken over. So I have confidence. I really do. I have confidence in democracy's ability to survive all these problems. I, uh, Some people I, say I'm a fool. I've never been accused of being naive. I definitely do hope that you're right because when I look at a lot of these things and I see the trajectory of technology, I get a bit concerned. And I guess one of the things I'd love to discuss as well is, I guess, your view on freedom of speech, open information. How does that contrast with the Overton window, which essentially refers to the range of policies politically acceptable for mainstream population in a given time? Does this impinge on national security? And how can you make a just, sound decision on who to vote for if you are not potentially able to view all information to make that right decision? Well, you know, information has a way of seeping. There have been governments that have tried to control all of the uh, sources of information. In Russia, for example, there is state-controlled media, but truth seeps in. I remember um, during the Second World War, leaflets were dropped over Germany and Japan. It's very difficult. It's impossible to completely control all of the sources of information that a population is exposed to. So it's just too easy to get information behind those kind of walls. And um, we're in an information technology world now where it's impossible to wall off a whole population from other views. The government has advanced the propaganda machine as it wants, and it's not going to work 100%. And seeds of dissent and revolution are planted in the most totalitarian countries. I suggest to you that there was no country that was more totalitarian than Nazi Germany, and look what happened to them. I don't think Big Brother is going to succeed in this world. It's too late for that. The communications technology simply make it impossible to control what everybody believes. Mm. Yeah, and I, I guess the only concern is like when you're having chatbots, for example, you can pump the internet, absolutely pump it with a range of different scientific uh, research papers, but it's not it's not based on anything. It's it's completely fabricated. But as a uh, consumer or as a member of the population with freedom of um, speech and freedom of information, you get bombarded with all the stuff that is not even true. The problem is that you've, you've spotted a problem. And what I'm suggesting to you is that there is no solution to this problem 
uh, short of um, a democratic free exchange of ideas. It's the only way of, of beating you. You can't outlaw these points of view because you'll end up with a dictatorship. Free speech is essential to democracy. Again, I say it's messy. There are challenges. But as long as we have free speech, I think we'll get through all this. Um, and um, without free speech, if if we uh, decide to have uh, autocracy because the challenges seem too fraught for democracy to solve, the game is over. As I repeat again, it's messy, but think of the alternative. Yeah, no, that's really true. And I guess, you know, even going into like the metaverse, for example, which our generation is unfortunately going to be faced with, is like there's people are going to be in this world, this artificially created world where people like Mark Zuckerberg are predicting more and more people will spend most of their reality or waking state in this artificial world. You can completely control everything that you are experiencing in this artificial world. And that seems to be, unless people say, actually, no, this is not the direction I would like to go in, it just seems so warped. I don't deny the severity of the challenge. And I guess on the positive side, there's the Daily Wire. So what are your thoughts on the Daily Wire, if you're aware of it? It was started by Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Bowen, and strongly advocated by Jordan Peterson. Well, it's one of those voices um, that um, gives one some hope. And there are a lot of these little bubbles starting to emerge. You know, you and I are not the only ones who have spotted what the problems and what the challenges are. This is very creative. The West is very creative in terms of ideas. I'm confident that there will be solutions to these problems and challenges, and challenges, and that we'll make it through. This is not the first time that we've said, you know, oh, woe was me, and um, we'll make it. Yeah, I know. I, I definitely do hope so. And I guess um, <laughs> that's the benefit of hopefully starting life on Mars. It's not saying you're rejecting Earth and, and giving up, but it's uh, having a, a backup plan. It's, it's, uh, there's so many issues that could potentially destroy all of humanity. I had a brilliant discussion with Margaret who discussed all of the weapons of mass destruction and the amount of information that came out of that uh, discussion with nanobots, you know, being able to dissolve every inch of your body. I mean, nuclear warfare is, is one tiny little <laughs> subsection of the threats that we're facing um, as a civilization. And I guess... Let me tell you something. If a pathological head of state gave an order that a number of hydrogen bombs be launched against the other side. My prediction is that the military would not obey that order. So I actually think there are checks and balances, even on the most powerful despot, that the order would not be obeyed. Mm. But wouldn't an autocracy be that one person makes the decision isn't that the whole point that they literally destroy everyone else who challenges their opinion well but somebody has to carry it out you're not going to have a putin who's going to fly the plane um it takes it takes individuals to carry out such orders and what i'm telling you is that an order which is suicidal because it is suicidal it's mutually assured destruction uh, will not be obeyed by the military 
Yeah, I, I understand in training though, wouldn't they break somebody down to the point of like total, you know, isn't that the whole point of pruning someone is you, you train them to the point where they don't even know what, where they are. Tell you a story of American history that you may not be familiar with because you're not American. During the Nixon administration, toward the end of his presidency, Richard Nixon started to lose his mind as a result of the Watergate scandal. And it's widely been reported that members of his senior members of his staff had an agreement among themselves that if he gave an order that was totally crazy, that was enormously destructive, that they would not obey it, that they would actually not obey an order of the president of the United States. And this, I believe that that's true in this country today. And I also think it's going to be, it would be true in Russia. If Putin decided that he wanted to launch a hydrogen bomb against this country because it's helping Ukraine, I believe it's the military officers would not obey the order and instead he would be assassinated. Russia's not looking to destroy itself. Or the world. <laughs> Any country now launching that kind of a bomb is going to assure mutually assured destruction, MAD, madness. And people are not suicidal. They would not obey such an order. Yeah, I find it really interesting, right? So like back in the day you would have in Scotland was filled with a, a bunch of little tribes and then all the Scottish tribes fought against each other and then it grew to become Scotland. And then you had other countries and even the West, so to speak, um, grew to become the West and shared uh, political ideologies. But as there is an expansion, there seems to be like, yeah, three, maybe four dominant superpowers, maybe three. What happens after that? You have this conflict, this, um, you know, fighting, and then you have a merge but it's getting to the point now where those conflicts are becoming greater and greater, but the consequences, the merging becomes, I guess, one unified oh, the, earth. Uh, the Irish conflict was pretty, pretty rough. And the two sides don't love each other, but they have coexisted for quite a while now. So the world adjusts to reality. Because they say that that's one of the reasons that, like, potentially we haven't seen um, intelligent life elsewhere is what happens if it hits a certain point where I guess it's going off the trajectory of it being built upon uh, weaponization and conflict. I mean, even the Internet was founded or created through weapons and through the military. So it's like our entire psyche has been developed through conflict and through that conflict comes expansion. Um but that can only go so far where it's like, well, if we keep fighting, um, we could either all kill each other or if we actually collaborate and agree and unify, then maybe we could explore and use all of our uh, brain power to expand into other planets, expand into the universe or collapse. All I could tell you is I don't deny the severity of these challenges, but I believe the two things will remain true. Number one, the world will not be destroyed by a mad dictator because the people around that dictator will not allow it to happen. Two, no one person will end up running the world. 
It's too messy. And you don't think it's in our human psyche to want to do that. There's people with now technology to aid in that colonization, so to speak. You would have to change the way that we view things. You'd have to change our deeply embedded need for greed and power. I don't deny the severity of the challenges. I'm just telling you that I think in the end I will be right. I definitely, definitely, definitely do hope so. And I guess um, just leaning back to freedom of speech, there's a handful of questions I'd love to ask. We're uh, looking at freedom of speech in relation to comedy. Um, so particularly looking through the lens of cancel culture, much of the comedy from 20 to 30 years ago wouldn't be allowed today. For example, some of Monty, Monty Python. Um, what are your views on that? I think that eventually cancel culture will be canceled because it is impossible to control communications. Cancel culture is an absurdity, particularly in a world with the various communication modalities that we have. It's small-minded, petty, ridiculous, and it will disappear. It'll fall of its own weight. And I guess even on that, in that same discussion, like noticing in Canada, where during COVID, people were trying to donate to the truck drivers who were on strike and that entire site got shut down or they, they weren't, all those funds that people were donating to got held and um, weren't given to the people whom they wanted to. So that was a government, a democratic government uh, that allowed freedom of speech, had controlled where things were going and where funds were going. In the end, I think that's a self-defeating philosophy, self-defeating strategy. Um, it doesn't work, and it won't. It wouldn't last in any society that tried it. I believe that in China, the uh, the rule of the one party is going to collapse at some point. It's already the economy is already starting to get shaky, and if the economy collapses, that's the end dictator, the Chinese dictatorship. I even think that North Korea is going to end up collapsing. So speak about dictatorships. It's the world's premier dictatorship. It's run by one family, and eventually that's going to go. Maybe not in my lifetime, I'm 81, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if I was a, a, a child in the Kim dynasty, I would not rest too easy. The interesting thing about North Korea um, is I know that there is still some funding from other countries, um, but they're largely self-sufficient. I mean, because of their hostilities geopolitically, they've managed to remain quite self-sufficient, which if, let's say, the global financials collapses uh, and all of us see you know, huge economic uh, turmoil, it's kind of like they're living off grid. <laughs> well, the problem is they have a lot of starvation too. Mm. You know, their self-sufficiency is at a level that has a lot of people starving. But I guess if you look at um, centralized power or you look at, uh, yeah, centralized power, in uh, most Western countries, you have that but with food. So the supply chain is incredibly centralized. You've got mass shopping centers that are what, maybe two, three, four companies you know, in Australia, you've predominantly got Coles and Woolworths, which are two companies that really are competing against each other, maybe Aldi. But if you look at North Korea, if you look at uh, many other countries, Cambodia, another very poor country, 
you you go there and there's lots and hundreds of little shopkeepers with all their little shops. And I think that's one of the big lessons from COVID was, wow, people are going into these handful of um, shops. There's a break in the supply chain. There's no food on the shelves. People are uh, grabbing what they can, hoarding what they must. Um, and there's a collapse there. There's a, a huge issue there because of centralized control. It's not a prescription for long-term survival or prosperity. But that's capitalism. That's what ca- what's the more of a capitalist society has done, is it slowly steered towards larger organizations, slowly getting more and more and more power, more and more and more control. Um, you know, Coles and Woolworths have a big impact on who even gets stored on their shelves. You know, they, they can make or break a company. I don't deny it. I only tell you that history is cir- circular. What is seems inevitable today is not inevitable tomorrow. Yeah. So if you had like uh, more and more control and centralization, then from my understanding, you would say that there would be some sort of uprising, there would be a collapse, and then there would be a decentralization that would take place from there and then start to build up to a centralized, a collapse, and then a decentralized. And then so it cycles. Cycles, yeah. And you don't think that AI... Um, or a heightened sense of technology would have any impact on the cycle no longer repeating itself. That's correct. Yeah, well, it's, that's really, really, really interesting. Yeah, cool. And I guess the last question I would love to ask is um, your thoughts, I guess, on Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. You know, when we're talking about freedom of speech, we're talking about a democracy, these are two classic examples of people who spoke out against the government that was so to speak, allowed to have freedom of speech, but they were heavily prosecuted. And I guess that goes back to my previous question on asking about national security and the aversion window. You know, How much information can the public be given? Um, because they obviously shared information that impinged on national security. And as a consequence, they got severely prosecuted. I think we have vastly overclassified information in the United States. Vastly overclassified it. Julian Assange has been terribly treated by the United States. And I think in the long term, that will become obvious. There is a, there's a joke from the old Soviet days. And maybe it isn't a joke. Maybe it actually happened. I'm, I'm not sure. There was a, a meeting between Khrushchev and Ronald Reagan. I guess it was Khrushchev said, um, if, if they... Um, if somebody called the prime minister an idiot, I could have him imprisoned. I am in a much better position than you. Well, in this country, um, he said, if somebody called me an idiot, he'd probably be elected president at the next election. Uh, I may not be remembering it correctly, but the fact is um, that Reagan understood the strength of the democracy with free speech, where you could even call the head of state a name, uh, you could spread a rumor that's not true, that in the long run, um, it produces a stronger society. And the United States is a much stronger society than Russia, which is a real mess economically in every other way. Um, imagine that they're having trouble. They, they can't conquer a country which is one-third the size and the wealth of uh, Ukraine, it's because of all the corruption. It's because they don't have elections. 
It's because the best people don't get into the positions of government. In the long run, um, I have uh, great confidence in the ability of democracies to survive all these challenges uh, in a hostile world. Um, we've done it before. We'll do it again. The United States, Britain, its NATO allies. Um, I have great confidence in the survival of freedom uh, over autocracy. And I, I definitely do hope um, that you are correct. And I guess even seeing your book that you wrote, the three uh, three felonies a day, how the feds target the innocent. I mean, this is deeply embedded into our <laughs> democratic <laughs> free country uh, where everybody is equal, um, where prosecutors can charge almost any American uh, for a host of crimes, but we are not an autocracy. <laughs> and I was allowed to uh, write that book, publish it, but on a book tour, it's still selling quite well, and uh, nothing's happened to me. <laughs> but nothing's changed with the government, though. That's not true. There are, a lot, there are a lot of members of Congress, for example, who criticize the Federal Bureau of Investigation, uh, which I think should be abolished. Um, I made a video for the ACLU of Massachusetts uh, uh, urging people to never, ever give an interview to an FBI agent. Nobody's done anything to me as a result of that. They can't. I exercise my First Amendment right. I think that we'll make it through. I definitely do hope that you're right, and I do hope that individuals learn um, how to decipher fiction from fact and how to come to a stronger truth of reality because at the end of the day, like all of us can only gauge what reality is based on the information we've provided and psychology proves that time and time again. If you are not looking for a clown, a clown will pass the street and you will not see it. No matter how bright and colorful it is, you will not see it. So if your information you presented with is swayed to one or other side, you will think that that is truth. And you will vote accordingly. <laughs> that's one of the biggest traps of democracy is you will vote according to what you believe is truth. And that's based on what you presented. <laughs> and so the circle continues. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. And I would love to um, complete, I'd love to ask everyone, this being a podcast, what is your one message that you would like to share with the world? Protect free speech and everything else will work out. If free speech goes, everything else goes. It's the fundamental underpinning of a decent world. Amen. <laughs> Thank you so much, Harvey, for your absolute wisdom and your time of day. I really, really appreciate it. And um, I know many other people will get such great insights from this discussion. Thank you. Thank you.